You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical or theological questions in 10 minutes or less. Today's question is often asked, and it is about TULIP. If you don't know what that is, we'll get into it, but it's about the L in TULIP, which stands for limited atonement. So our friend, he wrote in and said, I have trouble wrapping my mind around this and reconciling it with some of scripture. R.C. Sproul's term, definite atonement, has helped me. And I think it's probably a more accurate term, but would like to hear what Dr. E has to say about this doctrine and scripture to support it. So, Dad, first of all, what is limited atonement? What does that even mean? (laughs) So let's back up to the tulip. And it's really important because the tulip, it has to do more with what's called the Synod of Dort. It's often called the five points of Calvinism. Mm Do you know them? Total depravity. Unlimited. No, no, no. Total depravity. No, what's the U? The U always stumps people. Yeah. Because I always want to say it's unlimited atonement. (laughs) (laughs) And then I go, wait, no, L is limited atonement. Limited atonement. I is irresistible grace and P is perseverance of the saints. U is. I don't know. What is it? You don't know it either? I'm oh, thinking. Man. Oh, man. Good thing we have Google right here. All right, ladies and gents, here we go. Oh, How many times have I taught this? Tulip Calvinism. I'm getting old. I have a hole in my head. All right. T, total depravity. U, Unconditional election. election. I got That's there. Right. Unconditional election. You got it before okay. Google did. So, Good job. So there was a guy called Jacob Arminius or Jacob Arminius, and he had this thing called the Synod of Dort. And they were affirming these things. And so this is a response to him. So if you go and say It's a response to who? To Jacob Arminius. Got it, got it, got it. So Calvin wrote this in response. No, No. Calvin had nothing to do with this. This this council. Reformers responded to Jacob Arminius' Council of Dort. So in John Hanna's incredible set of books called Invitation to Church History World and Invitation to Church History America. There are two volumes by Kriegel. He has a great section, in, and you've heard me talk about this before. I have a reader's group on Monday, yep. and we WebEx in, and we all talk about this a few pages at a time. We were all reminded and chagrined how much we had forgotten about our theology. But Hannah talks about Jacob Arminius, or Jacob Arminius. He studied in Geneva under a man named Theodore Beza, who was a successor of Calvin. So Calvin was careful. He was silent when he came about the Bible being quiet. In other words, he didn't project things Mm, that the Scripture weren't clear about. Uh But this was not the case with Biza. So Biza is influencing this guy, Arminius. Okay, Arminius took exceptions with Biza's teaching and was concerned that Calvinist doctrines made God the author of sin while he wanted to stress the importance of faith and holiness in the Christian life. So this fast forwards. So Arminius was accused of being a Pelagian. We can get into that if we need to, but not in 10 minutes. And so as this fast forwarded, his followers, known as the Remonstrants, started a debate that resulted in the Senate of Dort, 1618. And this is where the five points, and technically there were only four, were restructured into what is now called the five points of Calvinism or the tulip. So the importance of this, why I'm going back to here, Armenian said that Christ died for the sin principle. The Calvinist said, no, Christ died for sinners. Arminius said that Christ was to secure a disposition of possibility. It's a little bit cumbersome, but they said, no, the Calvinists said, no, it was to secure the foundation. So each of these objections that Arminius raised were then corrected by Calvin's camp. Okay. He did not write these. Okay. So 
Wait, the, time out. I know we're going to limited atonement, but just quick answer. I don't even want explanation. Did, in your opinion, did Christ die for sin or sinners? For sinners. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So, but it's important for people who talk about Calvinism and Reformed theology to understand this is the developing thing. Calvin didn't even write Calvin tulip. didn't teach these things. <laughs> uh, not the way they're taught in this so-called limited sure. atonement. All right, now, let's get to the specific question because okay. that's what people want. Okay. Limited atonement, or as the question was, Bethany uh, asked, a definite or particular redemption. Okay. So, And there's some passages that would underscore this. Jesus laid his life down for the sheep. In John 10, 15, that's not everybody. Mm. That's just his sheep, okay? Christ gave his life for the church, Acts 20, 28. Mm-hmm. He died for the elect, Romans 8, 32, and on and on it goes. And their point is that the atonement, meaning the, blood the efficacy of Jesus' blood and the sins that it covers is only for the, the elect. elect. And so it's limited in scope. Okay. All right. Now- the unlimited atonement has, and this is from Paul. And, and who would you say, like, just umbrella agrees with unlimited Mo- atonement? Un- unlimited. Unlimited. Uh, they would tend to be more comfortable with the term evangelical, Bible-believing churches. Mm-hmm. The reform camp is unlimited. Is, is limited. Oh, yeah, that's They're what I very limited. Yes. Reform is limited. Calvin limited. But you've got crossover of guys. Course. You've got a guy like John MacArthur who's very reformed in many areas, but he believes in unlimited, unlimited. atonement, okay. as would Swindoll and David Jeremiah and, and Michael others. Easley. And Michael Easley. Yeah, okay. So let's go through some of these things about unlimited atonement. I mean, the first thing I want to say is it's a bit of a contrived word. And again, they were reacting to Jacob Arminius. Yeah. When we hear that term today, it sounds, well, wait, yeah. And, and the term I remember hearing with a Reformed friend of mine, very animated, was, well, then Christ's blood was wasted and spilt. Yep. I said, well, that's emotional, but that's on the Bible. Right. That There's never any story, whether it was an animal sacrifice in the Old Testament or a reference to Christ's mm-hmm. sacrifice that talked about his blood being wasted or spilt. Right. It was shed. So anyway, so here's some things that are helpful. The New Testament, taken at face value, says Christ died for all. Okay. Limited atonement is not based on exegesis of text, but it's more a premise. It's more of a position the Reformers have hung on to. The world, and this to me is one of the most important ones, John uses the term world more than anybody. Yeah. Christ died for the The world. world. The world world. is God-hating, Christ rejecting mm. and Satan dominated. Mm. So says Paul ends in his handbook of theology. Think about that. God hating, Christ rejecting, and Satan dominated. And so if Christ died for the world, world his enemies. He died for people that hated God, that rejected Christ, and, yeah. were, and were dominated by Satan. And you can just take a concordance and look up world and John. Fourth, the word whosoever is yeah. used over a hundred times in the New Testament always, always unrestricted. Wow. Whosoever, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. Whosoever believes in me. Wow. 110 terms. All right. And then the word all, which is, and, and this we have to be careful, it's an equivalent term to whosoever. Sure. But it says Christ died for the ungodly in Romans yeah. 5, 6. Yeah. Christ died for all Second yeah. Corinthians five fourteen. Yeah. Six in Second Peter two one it says Christ died for false teachers who were denying the master who bought them. Wow. 
That's a hard one to get around exegetically. Yeah. And then finally, the Bible says Christ died for sinners. First Timothy one fifteen, Romans five six seven and eight, and the word sinners never means the church. It never is used to mean mm-hmm. the elect. It's mm-hmm, simply mm-hmm. those who are lost. So, which is every human ever yep. born. On so this we planet. take those together. Now, the benefits of limited atonement are emotional. In that they are. In Makes that, us feel well, kind Christ, of better. I don't know. It, it wasn't spilt. It wasn't wasted. It yeah. wasn't. You know. It's a but unlimited. Can be emotionally abused. Well, then if he died for everybody, everybody's saved. Everyone's saved. That's yeah. not what the text that says. Also, that feels real good. That's not what these passages say. Yeah. Another way of saying it, and this is a bit of a hybrid, is that Christ's death is sufficient for all, mm. but only applies to the elect. Okay. So I use it not unlike the arch illustration. Yep. I talk again and again and again. The offer is universal. Only the elect are going to respond. There's no place in the Bible that tells me to differentiate with the message who's the elect. That's right. So if Christ, the scope of his sacrificial death is limited in scope, that creates larger theological problems for me than if it's unlimited in scope. Uh He wishes none to perish, no, not one. But he also knows only the elect are going to respond by faith. Mm-hmm. So this is one of these antinomies. Both exist. It's not our goal in this sense to figure out who's the elect. Right. It's our goal to share Christ. So the efficacy yep. of Christ's blood is sufficient for all, mm. but it's only going to apply to those who respond by faith, ergo the elect. All right. If you've got a question for Dr. E, call us, text us. The info is in the show notes. Ask Dr. E is part of the Michael Easley in Context ministry. We've got two other podcasts, Michael Easley Sermons and Michael Easley in Context. You can find those on your favorite podcast player. Ask Dr. E is produced by me, Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic and music composed by Jason Germain.